You're now listening to the Hudson Valley Transmitter Podcast. So how old were you when you started painting? I was, when I started painting, I was probably about maybe 18 or 19 years old. I didn't paint until I really got into college. Uh, I did one painting when I was probably about maybe 16 and it was terrible. I never had any art lessons. <laughs> yeah. So you got to understand that like, you know, when I was in elementary school, no art classes, high school, no art classes. Yeah. So no painting, no nothing, no color theory, nothing like that. So when I got to college was when I really started painting, but drawing from the time I could hold a pencil. So yeah. you were doing illustrations at a very young age. I was drawing pictures. Yeah. Yeah. And what types uh, of pictures? When I was a little boy growing up, it was, you know, anything, a lot of people, a lot of animals. And then comic books happened. Yeah. So, you know, I started reading comic books because I love the artwork in them. Mm-hmm. And that was like the silver age of comics, Spider-Man, you know, and the Incredible Hulk and all that kind of stuff. The classics. The classics. Yeah. yeah. And everybody was, it, it wasn't like a geeky thing or a nerdy mm-hmm. thing at the time. You know, because a lot of people were doing it. it was the resurgence of comic books. So that was kind of pretty cool. And I started copying. You know, if I saw a picture that I liked, I would just copy the picture. You know, and I started drawing my own stuff then. And I got better and better at it. And, you know, I geeked out. I would ask my parents, you know, can I have a book on, you know, how to draw the anatomy? Mm-hmm. And can I have a book on Michelangelo's paintings? And I, I would look at them and I would study them and I would try to draw them. And that was kind of my art education, you know, growing up. So, and your parents, uh, I read your bio mm-hmm. this morning, and it seemed that they were um, supportive of what you were doing. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, my father is is a great artist. I mean, he was an art oh, he's director. an artist as well. Yeah, he's a, he's he was an art director his whole life, yeah. his his work life, and uh, but he could draw and paint, mm-hmm. you know, like nobody's business, and he would bring home. At the time, you know, um, paintings and drawings were touched up with airbrush. Mm -hmm. So he would take home some freelance work that needed to be done at the uh, ad agency, and he would airbrush them. You know, turn on the compressor, you know, load up the brush with paint, and, you know, start spraying away. And I would stand next to him. I could barely see above the desk breathing in all those great fumes of paint from the airbrush. Good for the lungs. Yeah, Yeah. it was probably the healthiest thing for me at the time. (laughs) Gosh. But it was like magic to me, yeah. you know, just seeing what he could do, you know, and then I would go back and I would draw and I think, you know, seeing how good he was at stuff, yeah, you know, made me want to be better. And then I would see, you know, um, the artists in the comic books um, and I would find a picture that was like, you know, something I hadn't seen before. And then I discovered Bern Hogarth. And when I discovered Hogarth's illustrations, I was like, well, these are totally different. Yeah. You know, and, you know, then I tried to emulate him. So. And there was uh, something you mentioned in your bio as well that your dad introduced you to him, right? Or yeah, somehow. Um, times are different, you know, yeah. when when I was growing up. My, my brother, my older brother and I. And for people that don't know, that's the person who created Tarzan? He, cre- that- he took over the Tarzan strip from Hal Foster. Okay. Um, and, uh, Bern Hogarth really moved the comic book page, you know, to where it is today. Mm-hmm. You know, I think graphic novels are what they are today because of him. He broke out of that, 
a concept of the strict panels for pages. And he would do, um, you know, sweeping compositions across a page, no boxes, you know, that kind of stuff. So that was kind of cool to see. Um, yeah, my older brother and I, my older brother draws as well. Um, and we would, you know, look at the sports cartoons in the Daily News. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to meet Bill Gallo. So my brother picked up the phone, called Bill called Gallo. He answered his own phone. Yeah. Can we come and meet Stop you? Stop by. He invited us up. <laughs> How cool is that? Yeah, it was, it was awesome. So up we go to the Daily News. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to the, the old Daily News building in the city. I have not. You walk in. Oh, the Superman movie, the original Superman movie with Christopher Reeve. Mm -hmm. That the Daily That's News is filmed. the Daily Planet. So you walk in, you see that huge uh, globe in the, you know, so it's an imposing place as soon as you walk in. Yeah, yeah. I see, so, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. I've never been inside. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a cool building. But um, so we walk up there and, you know, he's there drawing away at his desk and he introduces us to another artist, Bill Cressy, he used to um, draw super duper cartoon strip in the Sunday papers. And moving it along, Bill Cressy invites us to the Rubin Awards. The Rubin okay. Awards are the Oscars of the cartooning industry. So he invited us and we went for like three or four years and it was there that I met Bern Hogarth. You know, he told me, well, Bern, you like Bern Hogarth? He's sitting right over there. So of course I had went to meet him, got his autograph, and How cool um, that? something you'll never uh, forget. I still have it. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I, in fact, I was recently contacted by uh, a guy who's doing um, a biography on Hogarth, and uh, you know, the most complete one ever ever done on his work. He's found like obscure things that Hogarth worked on, so it's kind of cool. Again, that's a geek in me coming out, right? But. Um, it, it, it's going to be a great book, but he contacted me and, uh, you know, he asked, you know, how, you know, how did you get into it? And I was like, well, I met him at, uh, the Rubin Awards. You know, these are the Oscars. He's like, yeah, I'm familiar with those. I said, well, I'm, I'm there. And I tell the guy, you know, I love to draw. And next thing I know, my father's telling me, we're going to go out to dinner in the city to Lone Star, which was right across from Parsons at the time okay. where he was, Togarth was teaching. And, uh, we go to dinner, and who walks in? Bern Hogarth. My father had <laughs> surprised me by inviting him. Wow. You know, he had brought along some of my drawings. I showed them to him, and he liked them. And I was, I was probably about maybe 14 years old. Wow. And he said, you know, you're good. Keep practicing. And, you know, if you really want to make a career of it, come back and see me. When I was ready for college, I did go back and see him. And so I had no portfolio. My portfolio was black and white drawings of Conan the Barbarian, Spider-Man, Tarzan, that kind of thing. Characters you loved growing Characters up. Characters I loved, and that's yeah. how I learned, you know, my craft, and that's what I had to show. No color, black and white ink, comic book drawings. And Hogarth wrote my letter to get into the School of Visual Arts. I did no not kidding. know at the time he was the founder of the school. <laughs> so, he, so I was kind he of shooing, you know, yeah. <laughs> so that was pretty cool, actually. So, know, yeah. um, I'm assuming you got accepted. I was accepted, yeah, yes. You accepted. Was, yeah. <laughs> Um, so there was, when you're growing up though, you come from a very artistic background, but school, there was no art classes in school, right? No, I For was you. the resident artist. Yeah. Yeah. In uh, third grade, I created a comic strip called Sam's son Whoa. and he was a strong son of Sam who worked in, no, well, son of Sam's, Sam's son, son who worked <laughs> okay. in the, uh, not about David not, Berkowitz. No, 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 no. <laughs> so he, Sam was his father, owned a grocery store, uh -huh. uh, and his son would make the deliveries and he carried big packages and 
he was a muscular guy. Mm-hmm. So Sam's son, you got that? Cool. Sam's son? Okay. Yeah. There you go. So, so the class liked it too. It was a comic young. strip. Yeah. Yeah. And you were having these, where do you get these inspirations from? Where, where does this creative energy come from? You know, um, it's just in you. Yeah. It, it's something you can't really describe. You know, as a writer, I mean, if you write something, you don't know where the inspiration comes from. Some days yeah. it just hits you. Some days you got to work at it. Right. You know, but when an idea strikes, you go for it. Right. So. Do you carry with you like a notepad or anything like that? Or I you usually always idea? have a sketchbook, yeah, or, you know, I draw on uh, iPad or iPhone or uh, something like that. You know, I'm drawing apps on those. So, um, you know, whenever I see something, I'm, I'm ready. So, yeah. Do you get this, do you get sort of like a visual in your mind almost can you see it before it's yeah done, i can i can always it? see things you know the way i want them to look and then of course once you start something and you it's physically down on paper mm-hmm. or on the uh, screen in front on the monitor in front of you things progress they they morph they change so yeah well i have a vision the it's end result isn't different. always that vision yeah sure now i understand that um and when you're when you start to, to work on something and that vision changes, you just kind of feel you intuitively know where, where it's going. Yeah. You know? uh, um, like I tell my, my students, um, here's what art is. It's part instinct mostly, and then it's part intellect. Mm-hmm. So you really need to trust your instinct. Number one, and then the intellectual stuff where you're dealing with, um, your composition, your color, that kind of thing. You know, that, all that stuff you can you can work out as you you know as you go as you go along. Yeah, but most of the time you just you go with your gut, and that's usually the best work. Uh, some of the themes in your work include uh, religion, mm-hmm. politics, yep. history, um, animals. A yep. lot of stories about animals. A lot of nature. Yes. What kind of gravitates you towards those types of? themes and images well you know when i started out in illustration you kind of you develop a portfolio that is a mix of a lot of different things because you don't know what people are going to like Mm -hmm. ultimately my job as an illustrator is please the client you know so a lot of artists say you know that's a big compromise but because you're never it's never really your own vision it's not totally true part of the reason that we're hired is not only our competence in terms of style technique but the fact that we can take a story, you know, an editorial in a magazine or an entire book and bring our own vision to that. No good illustrator really leaves things, you know, what the black and white word says. We bring something of ourselves to it, some kind of backstory um, in terms of the imagery, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, so my, you know, themes from my work, whether I'm into nature or what, whatever it might be, a lot of that is just, you know, what the client wants. You know, so when it comes to nature, I just kind of wound up there. I started doing illustrations, uh, you know, a lot of people for trade publications. And then one day I was asked to illustrate a series of books, um, a Misty, Misty, the um, horse from uh, Chincoteague Island. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't allowed to use my own style. And artists had already been working on the books and they said, do you want to take these over? So as a young illustrator starting out, I need money. Yeah. You know, this is my job. So my agent at the time uh, said, you know, just take it. It's just good experience, you know, because you haven't illustrated books. So this is a good way to get to know how to illustrate books. So I illustrated those. And that was pretty cool. And I actually liked 
drawing the horses and doing the research. So I said, yeah, this is kind of something, you know, I would like to almost specialize in. And so I made more samples of uh, illustrations, including animals. And eventually I just, you know, wound up doing a, a, an outdoor science series. Uh, one of them was uh, featured on Reading Rainbow. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that Yeah, as well. so uh, publishers noticed things, yeah. you know. So when they saw, like, the way I handed, handled nature, mm-hmm. um, they would, you know, call on me for those kind of subject matter. And then just snowball from there. Um, we met couple years ago yeah now mm-hmm. and um one thing that you kind of brought to my attention and i i think is really important is that art is um a business to yeah. some degree mm-hmm. right if you want to do it yeah. for a profit and you know people sometimes have the idea that they just want to paint you know mm-hmm. whatever they want to paint right um but you know you really uh that made a lot of sense to me that if you want to do it even writing is the same way if you you know you could write a a tremendous story it might not sell you know if ya is very popular Mm -hmm. right now it might be better to you know kind of dip your toes in in that field and see what happens and um but can you talk a little bit about sort of the business of what you do because there's got to be some times where you get you know behind in your studio and you want to do something um you have you have an idea or something, but also you have uh, it's your job to do kind of something else. Yeah, when you work on when, something else. Yeah, when you when so so I'm an artist. Yeah. Part of what I do is an illustrator. The other part is fine artist. So you know I'll I'll handle commissions for books. I exclusively work on books now. Um, but I also, you know, will take time to do a painting when it strikes me. You know, there's two paintings on easels in my studio right mm-hmm. now, a watercolor and then a watercolor and acrylic painting, which mm-hmm. I'll go back and forth between that and my digital work for, for a children's book I'm working on. Um, you have to strike that balance between, you know, you need to pay some bills. Yeah. You need to make a living. So you say, I'm not really compromising my artistic integrity. I'm making a living at this. My old agent used to say, like, for instance, the Misty books, they would tell me, do you want to make money at uh, drawing and painting or do you want to go shine shoes on a corner? You know, and they would always tell me, here's a job. It beats shining shoes. So, yeah, whatever it took to, you know, handle the business side of things. Um, that's what I put my attention to. And that over the years gives me time to, you know, do what I want to do. Mm. And I don't have to worry about whether, um, I'm doing the type of painting that people will buy mm-hmm. in my fine artwork. I'm doing the type of painting I want to do, Yeah. you know, cause the, the business side of illustration is taking care of the other stuff. And honestly, most, you know, young illustrators, they, they'll fail because they're not handling the business side of things, not because they don't have the talent. You know, they certainly have the talent for it, but then when it comes to bookkeeping and paying your taxes, you know, quarterly, and, you know, figuring out what to charge, you know, per piece, negotiating contracts, all that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. you you know, you need to know that. You need to be a little bit business savvy in in terms of that. Um, I taught a a course in illustration at Marist College um, probably maybe 10 years ago, maybe longer than that, that illustration was running. My last class would be business. You know, here's how to start your business. Here's how to, you know, go to the county clerk and apply for, you know, all that kind of boring stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 
that you need, but they need to know. You know, it's uh, you're setting yourself up for failure if you're not going to be concerned with, you know, marketing yourself and paying your bills and all that other kind of stuff. The other stuff will fall into place. You mentioned um, agent. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm currently working on a project for a screenplay, mm-hmm. and it's something that I've been researching. Like, when do you get an agent? When is it important to have an agent to help you get your work in front of you know people that are going to help you make what you want to make? For an artist, is it necessary? Like, what, at what point is it necessary? Would you say to have an agent? So it, it's not a necessity. Yeah, um, it just makes things easier. Be- it, again, if you're good at the business end of things. When you're working on a project, you need to be thinking about where the next project's going to come from. Mm-hmm. So that means you as the artist going out and contacting the publishers, talking to the editors, contacting art directors, sending right. samples of your work, sending website links, whatever it might be. Which could be a full-time job. Which is a full-time itself. job in itself. Yeah. You are correct. That's what, you know, people say, why do you have an agent? Right. That's why you have an agent. Definitely. I can stay home and paint and draw. My agent Handles. is Janet DiCarlo, storybook uh, arts in Pine Plains, she handles all of that other stuff and contract negotiation, collecting the money, paying me, you know, mm-hmm. so I don't have to deal with any of that kind of stuff. We can just paint. So but as, as far as illustrators go, getting an agent, you ask when's the right time to get an agent? You know, whenever, if it's right for you, but they want to see a track record. That's yeah. the only thing. You know, it's that um, you got to be published before they'll publish you. So you need to get out there and get your own work, prove that you can meet deadlines. The work that you show in your portfolio needs to be the work you deliver after doing a 30-page book. Mm -hmm. Page number one needs to look like page 30. Mm -hmm. You know, no loss in quality or anything else. So if you can prove that you can do that, you know, then you can pick yourself up and, you know, start looking for an agent if that's the right thing for you. Uh, You've done over 60 books illustrated. Probably about 80 at this point. More than 60 books. Um, and one of which was featured on Reading Rainbow. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. Which one was that again? That was Seashore Surprises. Okay. Yeah. It was in a part of a series, a wildlife series written by Rose Weiler. Cool. Uh, one took place in the woods, one took place at the ocean, that kind nice. of thing. So, yeah, again, a lot of research into, you know, um, what particular type of ocean life was in there. It was pretty cool seeing LeVar Burton, you know, hold That's the book cool. and read some pages. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I used to watch the show. <laughs> I used to watch the show, and I, I loved that show as a kid. Yeah. Um, it And when you do something like that, I mean, how does that help spike what you're doing? Do you get a lot of calls after that when you're on a show like that? It, you know, you'd be surprised. The publishing world used to be so large. I yeah. mean, now there's a lot of mergers and, you know, acquisitions of people, you know, closing down or whatever. But as large as it is, you know, inside the industry, you know, people talk like other industries yeah. and they know, you know, if they've seen something, they'll tell another art director or an editor about someone. Um, my agents certainly use it as, you know, promotion, you know, when they send out, yeah. you know, portfolio and check out the work on Reading Rainbow, that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, it's a big know. show. Yeah, so, so it certainly helped. Um, so what are some of the other books that you've created and where can people find them? Um, some of the other books that I've done, probably, you know, people used to know me as the Tonka guy because yeah. I was asked by Scholastic to do uh, a Tonka book about uh, a dump truck, the Tonka dump truck. As a little kid, I played with a Tonka dump truck. Ah, so so I jumped at, oh my gosh, I jumped <laughs> at the chance to illustrate that. And at the time, they were building a Walmart in Fishkill, and I ran over there. I took some photos, did some sketches of what a real construction site looked like. Mm-hmm. 
I went to um, Nanny Construction in town, and uh, he allowed me to go onto the trucks and see, you know, what they were actually like. I mean, so this is all the research that goes into that kind of thing. So the yeah. Tonka books were a big thing for me. And then from that, I, I, you know, there was a lot of, like, landscaping kind of work done in there, landscape mm-hmm. painting. Um, so the nature thing wasn't totally out for me. I could still show that to publishers. And then I did um, a book for the Smithsonian Oceanic Collection called yes. Dolphin's First Day. And from that, that that led to 10 more books in the series. So I wound up doing a lot more nature stuff and then eventually did, you know, more nature kind of oriented books. So that just, you know, snowballed from there as well. So, And you were saying, and I, I don't think a lot of people realize uh, how much research is involved in doing it. Like the book that you did for the Smithsonian, how did, mm-hmm. what kind of research did you do and how long were you, you know, studying before you actually started drawing? Yeah, there's months of research that go into, you know, creating a picture book. Um, you know, if you look at picture books, even the ones that are cartoony in style, you know, if they're about dinosaurs or trucks or, you know, something realistic, uh, subject matter wise, even though it's handled in a cartoony style, the publishers will want to make sure that you're giving the correct information to the kids that are reading them. So I did, I illustrated this book um Narwhal, Unicorn of the Sea. So it was pretty awesome. So I I did a school visit about a month ago and I'm showing them the book and, you know, one kid asked me, are narwhals real? Because they they have a horn. They look like unicorns. And before I could answer, another student said, they're not unicorns. You know, they're a type of whale. The kid knew everything about narwhals. (laughs) You cannot lie to kids. My favorite illustrator of all time, N.C. Wyeth, once said, don't talk down to children in your pictures. You know, and I stand by that. You know, I don't do, I can do cartoony. I don't do cartoony. I choose Mm -hmm. not to do that. Um, People do it much better than me. Yeah, there's more realistic quality. I'm I'm realistic, yeah. yeah. And I, when I present a subject to, you know, my youngest audience, I'm thinking about the narwhal kid you know, who's going to read it and know everything about it. And he wants to make sure that's perfect. So when I do series like that, that series gets sent to the National Zoo, gets reviewed by marine biologists there. Oh, wow. So there's experts so, proofing. Oh, there's experts yeah. proving. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Making yeah. sure that you didn't mm-hmm. make up everything. some fictional sea monster or something. Definitely. The type of um, mollusks that are located in... You know, uh, Caribbean water is not the same that's up in Greenland, you know, and they (laughs) notice. So I make sure that, you know, when I'm researching a subject or an area, Mm -hmm. I find out whatever sea life is there. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so you obviously clearly work on a lot of commissions Mm -hmm. and a lot of projects. Uh, But if you're in the studio and, you know, you're just working on your own stuff, what kind of drives you creatively in that regard um the fact that i get to work on my own stuff yeah drives me you what, know? what type of stuff do you yeah. do so i mostly do if you're left to your own devices yeah i mostly do uh either landscape or something architectural um i i'm not a um postcard painter yeah so uh, hudson river school first movement in American art. Mm-hmm. We live here. It's how awesome is that, right? Yeah. Um, I I know artists. I know a lot of artists. I, I used to be president of the 
um, Barrett Art Center, I got to meet a oh, lot yeah. a lot of artists there in Poughkeepsie. In Poughkeepsie, yeah. yeah. Um, very talented artists, landscape painters. I I do paint outs and paint alongside them, and mm. my work is different from them. They're you know very classical Hudson River School, beautiful paintings. Um, I tend to you know I'll find the broken tree, you know, and I'll I'll kind of paint that thing or you know a weathered building or a rooftop of a building that you know has great architecture like that one right there across mm. from here us and um we could set up and <laughs> start painting if I you like I could start painting for you <laughs> but um yeah it's diff- it's for me it's you know whatever strikes me that's what it I'll paint but I need to have a connection to it mm. I can't just like you can't drop me someplace and say you know look at the beautiful color in autumn and so why don't you paint that mm. it's I have no connection to it so I'll paint a lot up in, in Germantown where my mother-in-law lives. My white wife grew up there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can paint the barn. I can paint the tool shed. I can paint the house. Over and over again, I'll find something interesting to paint. Um, we used to have, my family used to have a, a beach house uh, out in Point Lookout, Long Island. Mm. And um, did a, a lot of paintings out there too because I you know, I had an intimate knowledge of the place. So I really need to kind of know things that I paint. You know, I just can't, you know, you can't plot me somewhere and just tell me to go. It's interesting that you said a broken tree or a weathered house. Mm-hmm. Why is it those types of images that that maybe other people look at and say, oh, that house looks, you know, crappy because it's old? Um, other people might notice them too. And, you know, many artists have handled the same subject matter. We all have our own approach, which is the awesome mm-hmm. thing about art. You know, you can tell artists to paint you know, the same tree and you'll get, you know, five different artists, five different versions of that tree. So, I mean, other people have that same sensitivity, but I just, you know, for me, it it just, it has to hit me. You know, people ask me, well, wh- why do you paint that? It just, it, there was something about it, you know, that said, that spoke to you. Yeah, you have to paint me, you know, mm-hmm. this will make a good painting. And then it also tells me, it sounds weird whether I need to use watercolor or I'm an acrylic painter. I don't use oils, mm. um, watercolor or acrylic, whether it needs to be really tight and detailed or, you know, a little bit more loosely handled, you know, and then sometimes just the drawing does it, you know, and you walk away from it. You just have to know when to stop. How do you know that? And how do you it, know? Again, it's instinct. It's instinct. You know, yeah. so the instinct intellect thing, you it's know, it's like if you make one more line or something or one, you know, take it a little bit too far, it could, ruin yeah, it yeah it's, you know? that's true you have to know when to walk away now that being said i can paint do a painting five years later look at it and say i should have done this to the thing yeah you know but i don't want to overthink it but you that's know? growing too as an artist right like i oh yeah look at things that i've done years ago and i cringe that yeah. that's so horrible yeah with my but, illustration you know. work it's the same thing yeah you know i feel that nowadays you know i can illustrate a book and I know exactly where it's going, where I want it to go, it, it tends to get, get there. Mm. And years ago when I was just starting out illustrating books, you know, it's kind of intimidating to think that, again, like page one has to look like page 30 in terms of quality. Mm. And you've got, you know, months of painting, you know, ahead of you and you've got to maintain that quality. It's, you just, it, it, it can be kind of scary, but- um, It seems daunting. How do you approach that? Just take the first step and start um, again as an illustrator yeah. if you want to be an illustrator it's part of the thing you have to you know accustom yourself to mm. you you set yourself up knowing that for the next three to six months i'm going to be painting this subject matter and on every page not only am i trying to please the client the person reading the book i'm trying to please myself mm-hmm. so 
I don't want to spend three months saying, oh, when is this going to be over? Yeah. You know, so every illustration that I do, as I say, you know, put some backstory in it, do something with the characters, the landscape is, you know, in the book I just illustrated, Runaway Slave, the house and the environment is the house up in Germantown. So, you know, again, I have a connection to that. So, yeah, I always try to just, you know, keep things fresh for myself. You you need to set yourself up knowing that, you know, for that time period, you need to, you know, stay on top of your game. Um, I don't know why this comes to mind, but I, I edited once a newspaper in uh, Montenegro, and I interviewed this uh, artist. I actually might have one of his book, books. His name was Philip Yankovic. I don't know if that rings a bell. I don't know if he's well-known or not. But uh, he's an older guy, and he had an exhibit there. And um, I asked him, you know, what what would you be if you couldn't be a painter? Mm-hmm. Like, did you ever say, oh, well, maybe I'll be a doctor or something? Right. Or, you know. Um, and he said, I, I would be incredibly sad if I couldn't be a painter. Yeah. I couldn't imagine being anything but a painter. Is it's, it this is a similar thing for you? It's of- it's true, yeah. I, I can't picture myself doing anything else. Um, when did I know I wanted to be an artist? From the time I could pick up a pencil. But when I was 12, I knew that's what I was going to be. And I was going to work toward that end. And it sounds like, how could a 12-year-old know that? Um, I just knew. I mean, and I said, you know, I had geeked out and asked for books on Michelangelo. What 12-year-old kid's reading, mm. you know, books on the Sistine Chapel? You know, Michelangelo's sculptures and trying to draw them. Yeah. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but that was like great training for me. You know, if had I had, I had art classes in school, I may have been asked to draw from a cast, you know, or, or something like that, or, or copy a Picasso. You know, my kids had, you know, training in, in school. I mean, they had art classes. Yeah. Um, and they learned about you know all the famous artists and different styles and stuff like that. I can't even imagine what it would have been like, you know, if I had that knowledge. You would have been in yeah, heaven I, as uh, a kid. I, I went into college yeah. and I was there with students from high school of art and design, who would paint circles around me. Mm. And I go into my painting class and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. You know, these kids already had color theory and composition and all that other stuff, and here I was with Tarzan. Yeah. Well, that probably made you a little more gritty, though, too, right? And a little bit more eager to learn and, and kind of show that, you know. I was a worker. You could, yeah, you could yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm the guy who took the uh, six-hour drawing classes, didn't leave to take a break. Um, I would work fast, you know, finish up. I knew illustrators had to meet deadlines. I trained myself to work fast and get jobs done. Uh, one of my instructors at uh, SVA um, Bradford Brown, he he was impressed by, you know, how fast I got work done. And he mentioned to me, he says, you're going to be great at illustration because you can meet deadlines. Fast, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, while other people were painting much better than me, they were actually slower than me. Um, so, you know, it, it comes down to just finding that right combination of, you know, what you need to do where you need to be. So. Do you think enough is done for uh, kids, creative kids that are, you know, maybe have some talent, you know, that shows at a very young age? You're striking your nerve now, right? Oh. <laughs> so I do a lot well, of school visits. Authors and yeah. illustrators will do school visits, right? Mm-hmm. So we go into schools and we usually have a program which meets arts and education standards, of mm-hmm. course. Um, and we'll tell them about, you know, how it is to be an artist or an author. And they love it. I mean, for that one day, you're like the celebrity you know, in the school, and they really look up to you, and they have a lot of questions prepared for you, and it's awesome. And the teacher will come up and say, you know, here's, you know, 
Bob, and he draws all the time. I can't stop him from drawing. And he wants to show you some pictures. And the kid is, you know, good. You know, he's in third or fourth grade, and he's, you know, pretty competent at drawing. Well, you ask to meet the art teacher, and, well, the art teacher's not here today. She's at another school. They only have art, you know, on you know, two days a week. It's on a cart. You know, it's so there's not that for that kid, you know, he's being underserved. Yeah. Because his thing might not be math and science and all that kind of stuff, you know, but the arts are, you know, for me, just as important, you know. Well, why isn't it like a math or a you know, I don't know Social studies. because they're so closely related. Yeah. I mean, you're learning problem solving skills. Um, there's, you know, the matter of, you know, organization and not over only of your time, but, you know, you're organizing shapes, you're organizing colors, you know. So, I mean, and a lot of that's to, to people who aren't into art. It sounds like, well, you know, so you're an artist and you're painting that just comes naturally. Well, a lot of that stuff doesn't come naturally. Right. It's a that's lot of hard the, work. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, for those kids, if they had that kind of education, you know, who knows what where they'd go yeah it's um it does seem a little uh, it seems unfortunate that those kids are not being their their talents are not being recognized whereas someone who's good in math or maybe someone who excels in sports they get rewarded and they're like oh you're you're, you're so great at this but maybe you know a lot of these artistic kids kind of fall by the wayside because they're not their talents are not being recognized do you, do you think that's true or not it's very true yeah, yeah our focus you know in this country is on you know the high paid athlete and you know maybe you know someday our kids could do that and when we have our kids in you know little league or whatever it's like maybe you know he, that he pitched a pretty good game you know yeah. the you know world series ring is not out of question but uh you know how realistic is that mm. so and cut to joe panic who just played against the mets right out of <laughs> out of jay right uh, but still you know what are the, what are the odds um i think if you're dealing with something like that and you're, you're pushing and pushing and pushing the kid to do that you know that's great so they'll learn a lot of things you know in in team sports too you know working in groups and that kind of thing um, but if we, if we took that same kind of energy and we noticed that this kid, you know, he's, so he seems to be a loner, but you know, he'll, he'll read or he'll draw or he'll write something, mm -hmm. you know, that's a skill he's developing. Let's, let's go with that. Let's find him some, you know, resources for, for art lessons, you know, contact an author, contact an artist, you know, have them meet, you know, the way I did when I was 12 years old. Can you imagine meeting real artists yes yeah. my father was one but he was my father right you know to meet a guy who had his work like in the newspapers all the time it was like magic to me you know so you can imagine as i say going into the schools the kids are like wow you're a real yeah art it's artist exciting. you know oh my gosh yeah. it's, it makes their day yeah, yeah. Uh, was your mom artistic as well or is she no but i think i get a lot of my um emotional sentimental side from her mm -hmm. so i think again you know when you say like what makes you paint something mm -hmm. i think that fact that i need that connection to it is more of an emotional uh thing more associated with feeling as i say i've been around it for a long time you know it reminds me of something from childhood or from years ago or something like that um it has it just has a, a an emotional quality to it and i think that's you know what i pick up from her so i think it's like the perfect storm kind of thing i have this feeling that i need to do something and i also have the skills to do it to do it you know so uh, just going back to the schools for a second. I mean, do you think adulthood too and, and society appreciates art as much? Because is it society as a whole that it's not 
really appreciating art as much? I mean, because there's a lot of people like, maybe you're a struggling artist and there's a lot of pressure to, well, why don't you get a real job? Or why don't you stop messing around with that and mm -hmm. do something that's going to make money? Because it's, we live in a society that base who you are on what your career is and how right. you know what you do professionally. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I think, I like to think we're moving a little bit away from that with, you know, this you know, younger generation, um, doing stuff on their own, you know, striking out, starting, you know, internet businesses, you know, having more than one uh, job, you know, a nine to five kind of thing. Um, if they're creative, yeah, I'll work in Starbucks, but, you know, then I'm going home to paint, you know, I'm going to have a gallery show, you know, in a couple of months. So one thing's funding the other thing. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how it will be in the future in terms of uh, uh, our jobs defining, like, who we are in terms of how society looks at us. I like to think we're moving away from that, but you're right. Um, you get a real job, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think you go back to the business side of it, and if you if you could show people, you know, what it is that you do as an artist that is, you know, a valid job, it is a business kind of thing, you put into it exactly what any small business owner would put into, you know, their own business. Um, it, it, they can kind of see then. Nobody really knows... I mean, what it's like to be an artist. Is it valued in this country as much as, you know, other things are valued? Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, look at, you know, you're going to cut funding. It's, right. you know, arts are going. Um, we could use more, uh, you know, attention, you know, paid to the arts. But I don't think people see the value of it, you know, in general. It's, it's something that is kind of foreign to them. I know that from my association with the Arts Center, when we would try to get funding, you know, we try to get funding for um, an exhibit or something, unless it's like serving a particular group, an underserved group, you know, people are very hesitant to give. Um, if you can, if you can show them like an end goal where it's, it has a charitable quality to it, you know, then they might consider that. But why should I give you money to paint? You know, it's like you're having fun. Right. And people don't really realize that, you know, the amount of work that goes into creating, you know, paintings for an exhibit, paintings for a book. You know, it's a hell of a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work. And it's, um, I mean, what you, what is created is invaluable and it means so much to so many people, you know, and it's, um, it's, it's a shame that, you know, it's that that isn't a priority. It is a shame. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are intimidated you know, when it comes to the arts, um, the fact that, you know, they don't do it and, and not that they can't do it because I meet a lot of people who are good artists and they just chose at some point in their life not to pursue that. Right. When I go into schools, I'll meet, you know, people, teachers show me their artwork, show me a book that they wrote that's been in the drawer for years. When I retire, I'm going right, to publish right, this right, book. Right. Yeah. They just have chosen not to do that. Here's a cool thing. There's this uh, company that does seminars. They were on a TED Talk. And they asked people to um, look under their seats. There was a piece of paper and a pencil there. And they told them, turn to your neighbor and draw a portrait of them. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to draw the portrait. Mm -hmm. So you hear, you know, pencil scratching, and then you hear snickering starting. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the person running the program said, okay, now show the, that person their portrait. Of course, <laughs> laughter hideous, breaks right? out. <laughs> now, 
the 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 uh, uh, person on stage goes now picture yourself as first grade students and i gave you that same assignment you would draw that person you would show it to that person and they would say how great it is <laughs> they would say you did a one yeah. that looks just like me yeah. <laughs> we as we get older we're so judgmental about yeah. you know how art needs to look if it looks real it's got to be good. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's the mentality. Well, you painted that, it looks just like the real thing. You know, otherwise it's a three-year-old could do it. I love art, and I'm, I don't claim by any stretch to say I understand it. You know, I don't know. Like, I could connect with, like, something like a Jackson Pollock, for mm -hmm. example. But traditionally, I mean, that's not what traditional art is, right, where you have a tree and a house. and But there's something beautiful about it. You know, it's um, it's a weird thing. You're right. I mean, Pollock's not my favorite artist yeah. of the Abex artists, abstract expressionists. Uh, uh, Joan Mitchell is my favorite of that group, not the singer. Um, uh, but um, Pollock's work is very organized. You may, you must be a, a pretty organized person to do all that you do. Pollock's work is an organization of explicitly applied color, line movement you know it, that's what distinguished him from the other artists who were throwing paint he wasn't the only one throwing paint um you know that whole school of of art came out of these people who put a mark down you know react to that mark put another mark down you know just be expressive right but pollock his teacher thomas hart benton one of my favorite artists totally into organization benton painted some of those famous american murals and if you look at a Jackson Pollock painting, you can see the organization of what he got from you know the tutelage of Thomas Hart Benton. It translates over to Benton paint, Benton's painting figures, Pollock's painting you know line and shape. Hmm. No difference, same organization. Yeah, because to the untrained eye, it looks like you would no, and you plant, you said understand art. Yeah. Most people don't understand, and there is a, a level of knowledge that you. You know should have to, yeah. if you want to look at art you look at art great love it just it's decorative art you love it because it's a beautiful picture of flowers good for you you should appreciate art that way right if you look at art and you say i just don't get that you know again the three-year-old could have done that art usually there's a lot of organization that has gone on into making that one mark on a, on, a, of, on a piece of paper or yeah. something yeah i think a good maybe example of that too is dia because like i like um what the, I guess is traditionally called, or what is called modern art, right? Mm -hmm. Like Andy Warhol and uh, yeah. Lichtenstein, mm -hmm. right? And those guys. Um, but like Dia, I'd go there and there'd maybe be like a pile of glass on the floor yeah. or a bunch of lines drawn, mm -hmm. you know, symmetrically on the wall. Right. And I don't know if I completely get it, honestly. I, I appreciate it and mm -hmm. I, I like to go to Dia, but I don't know if I'm truly understanding what's going on in the piece that I'm looking at. You know, at, at Marist, I teach a course, um, Fundamentals of Art and Design. Um, a lot of the students are not art majors that take the course. You know, they take it as an elective. When they're done with the 14 weeks, they have a totally different understanding of art. And I'll show them works by Richard Serra, Saul Lewitt, the, the paintings that are just lines on a wall. Yeah. Um, Chamberlain, auto parts crushed and cut up into pieces. You know, all great works in Dia, if you, you know, have a chance to go there to see them. But understand that those artists, again, they're working with different materials, 
but they're expressing like the same things that a landscape painter would try to, uh, you know, um, show in their work, it's just in a different way, you know. So the way we don't all look alike, we don't all walk alike, we don't talk alike, you know. So artists don't paint alike or sculpt alike and do other things like that. You know, we we know the basic principles of things, how we should use things, and then we're set free to go off and do our own thing, which mm-hmm. is kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I do want to get back to your work. Mm-hmm. You also create coloring books. Yes, I do. Uh, which yeah. is a very cool idea. Where'd you get the idea to do that? Um, I was commissioned by uh, Dover Publications years ago to do um, a sticker book. Mm-hmm. So there'd be a, a big panoramic spread um, and uh, of a background. And then you'd draw stickers and uh, paint stickers and kids could cut them out and put them on the background. So I did things like um, visit to the aquarium, again, nature kind of themed Mm -hmm. things, Uh, construction site because of the Tonka trucks where I do this big painting for a background, and then little little, um, sticker paintings. So they approached me with an idea of, would you like to, you know, use that skill since you're, you know, you can draw realistically, let's, let's do some realistic subject matter. And Dover has a whole section of books that are geared toward um, not very young children, but, you know, um, young adult. And then a lot of their books are used in rehab facilities, nursing mm-hmm. homes as well. People who want to color, you know, popular coloring books are nowadays. But an adult doesn't want to color, you know, um, bunnies and butterflies. Yeah. You know, they want something a little more challenging. Um, so they approached me with an idea of, you know, doing a coloring book for the Big Apple Circus. So I got to go to the Big Apple Circus. Yay, it's no longer around. But, you know, I went to the circus. I, you know, met with their representative, took pictures of all the acts and everything and did, you know, the Big Apple Circus coloring book. And at the time I asked them, I said, can I do it as a story? Can I do like the circus comes to town, they set up their tent and, you know, it goes through all the acts with the ringmaster announcing them. And then at the end, he closes the show. And they liked that idea of approaching it, a coloring book as a story. Um, so that was my first one. And then from then I just, I did all different kinds of, um, coloring books, including my latest, which is Alexander Hamilton, mm-hmm. um, which I spent about two months researching, um, in order to get all the facts about Hamilton wow. correct. Yes. The Broadway play is pretty much on the money in terms of what it's, it's presenting. Yeah. yeah. In terms of the storyline. Hard to get tickets for that. Hard to get tickets for that one, yeah. <laughs> I should send them a coloring book, maybe. Yeah, maybe I'll throw they'll me they'll some tickets. Yeah, yeah, you never know. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of research goes into it. And because I do, you know, my illustration is kind of realistic. Um, so that was a, kind of a perfect match for me. Um, any interesting things you learned about Hamilton when you are doing that? Um, I don't he, know too much about him. He too. appears on the uh, most... Um, currency of of anyone yeah i think 10 different uh times that he's been on currency is that right yeah so that's pretty cool one of those little fun facts you know they they asked me the people at dover my art director um she said you know can you throw in a few fun things you know for kids because we don't want it to just be historically you know boring to kids that might find it boring so i came up with some activities you know make a quill pen out of a out of a straw and a piece of paper and that kind of thing and then create your own currency you know put pictures of yourself where i show that's cool the 10 different currencies that hamilton has been on you know and then they can do their own type of currency with hamilton or themselves on the currency if they you know want to do that so you're being creative you're also learning which learn is a lot I always tell people, I know more about things I never wanted to know about. <laughs> I have no idea why. It's just... 
you, another thing you said I thought was interesting is um, rehabs, using mm-hmm. those as therapeutic tools. Yeah, well, I mean, art is How, therapy, yeah. right? So, I mean, a lot of a lot of people will use art as just therapy. It doesn't have to be anything great. Mm. You don't need to know the fundamentals and basics. That's, again, your instinct kicking in. Mm. Just don't be so judgmental. You know, you produce a work of right. art, be, you know, make yourself happy with it. The person next to you, like the people laughing at the portraits, so they don't like it, as long as you like it, yeah. you know, who cares? I always tell students, you know, my, they ask me what my favorite subject was in school. It must have been art, right? And I tell them I didn't have art in school. And they say, well, you know, how did you know you were good at it? I said, well, here's the thing about art. You can't do anything wrong. You know, there's no one to say that, wow, you painted that picture the wrong way. Who is to say that? You know, I do it my way, in my style. Writing's the same thing. You have your own style of writing. Who's to say that that's the wrong way to write something? Yeah. So. Does that come with also having thick skin? Because there's, as a, an artist of any kind, there's good people. You know, if your picture's on the wall, your stories in a publication, people that are going to dissect it and criticize it. And I think if so, as someone who creates something, you have to be kind of believe in it. And stand mm-hmm. by it, and if people, you know, trash it or whatever, say, "All right, well, yeah, yeah don't listen don't to get them. it. Yeah. Don't listen to those people. Yeah. I mean, you know, you'll know if you're good or not. Yeah. In illustration, you know if you're good if you can make a career of it. You know, people are coming to you; they're asking for you to illustrate their articles and books and whatever it is. They're not doing that because they met you once and they like you because we hardly ever meet authors we never meet you know the art directors will you know email nowadays i used to talk to everyone but now it's mostly you know just an email or something to back and forth so they don't know our personalities or anything mm. you're getting it based on the quality of your work so as a workshop thing uh kind of going to that in terms of commissions uh, any advice you'd give young artists in terms of how to set up commissions or how to go about possibly looking you know uh, in terms of hooking up with an author to work on a project it's not that difficult yeah. it's just a lot of work yeah so again your business side yeah so as um you know now concentrating on the picture book industry for the past you know 20 something years so i'm a member of an organization called scbwi society of children's book writers and illustrators mm-hmm. They are a remarkable resource for anyone wanting to get into publishing, illustrating, writing, whatever. Um, You can join the organization. I think it costs like $35 or something. But you have access to a book called The Guide. And that book will... um, It'll show you, it, it lists the publishers, it lists the contact information, it lists submission guidelines, what you should send, which is where a lot of people make the mistake. So you need to do the work. You need to yeah, do the business the side of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's not impossible to start the career, but most people don't want to do that. They'll say, well, you know, I'd, uh, some, uh, I, I'll, I don't have the time for that. I'll just send it to this publisher. I know I've, I have their address. I'll just send it to them. Mm. They don't know who they're sending it to. They're not sending it to the right editor. They're not sending it to the right art director. Do they take unsolicited uh, work? Some do. You yeah. know, it'll be listed in the uh, in the submission guidelines. Mm-hmm. With SCBWI, if you go to one of their conferences, um, usually there's editors and art directors there who will definitely see your work because you've attended a conference. So your job then, follow up. You know, if you have a person you definitely know they're seeing your work, you send them your manuscript, you send them a query letter, you send them, you know, your portfolio. If you're not going to do that and you're going to let months pass by, they're going to forget 
what was that the conference I, I don't even remember doing the conference mm. so whatever let's move on yeah so yeah you need to do you know you need to put the work in it's not that difficult and then the other advice is quality do not sacrifice the quality the competition is rough there's a lot of good people out there illustrating books art in general there's so many good artists here in the hudson valley i know so many people as i said i paint alongside them they're so good um and in illustration it's the same thing so many people are doing it so many people want to get into it you know on facebook i'm a member of a few groups where there are people who are not professional illustrators and want to someday do that and you look at their work and you're like why are they not working already mm -hmm. again mm -hmm. they don't know the resources to go to if they would just ask someone you know and I'm ready, I give the information, I'll type in, I'll spend 20 minutes, you know, replying to one of their posts saying, okay, here's what you got to do. You know, you list it, you know, who knows if they follow up or not. Right. But the information is out there. All you need to do is access it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think some people get turned off when they realize there's work involved because they enjoy the, the creative work. part. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, I have to send it to all these publishers. Oh, man, that seems like a lot of work. I'm just not going to do it. It is a lot of work. Know? I'm not going to lie. So, it's a lot of yeah. work. As you said, you know, I have an agent. It's a full-time job. Yeah, you, you need to set aside, you know, two or three days a week, you know, to just do the that kind of work, the marketing end of things, you know, the bill paying end of things, you know, keeping your business running. Mm -hmm. You know, you really do need to set that time aside. If you're if you're unstructured in terms of how you organize your work day, you know, you're setting yourself up for failure. So yeah, you have to concentrate on that business stuff. One question I wanted to ask you, um, was we, we talked about art being therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Would you say it is for you as well? Is it a, do you have like kind of a catharsis feeling when you finish something that you're working on that makes you, and it could just be uh, maybe endorphins or a feeling of happiness, or is it a feeling of I'm always satisfied when I something. finish something. Yeah, yeah, because I, you know, I won't finish it if I, not to sound cocky or anything, but I I rarely will create a painting that I'm not totally happy with. Because as I said, I'll look at it and I'll make changes along the way. If I see it not going in the direction I want, I'm not opposed to changing, taking things out, editing it, whatever it takes to make the thing good. I think a lot of that comes from the illustration too. Because mm -hmm. as you're doing the illustration, you're constantly checking to make sure, does this belong here? Does this look good? Does it keep the movement going through the book? Is it going to make the person want to turn the page? And all that stuff that you learn as an illustrator. Illustration is not just learning how to paint pretty pictures. You know, It's how to tell a story visually. So I think I do that in a lot of my painting. So when I'm done with it, I'm kind of very satisfied because not only did I achieve the vision I was after, but I made a lot of decisions along the way that got me there. That was like, again, it was a lot of work to get there, but I'm there, mm. you know? So yeah, I get that feeling of satisfaction from it. My release, I play the guitar. Yeah. You know, I'll take breaks and I'll play, cool. you know, some music and that kind of, you know, gives me peace. If I finish an illustration, Rather than jump right into the next page of the book, I'll stop. Yeah, you know, I'll play for twenty minutes, half an hour, and then I'll you know jump back into. I mean, I guess there's a, a time too, right, when you have to step away for a minute, or and to if you look at something too long, maybe you'll overthink it, or you know you need to look at it with fresh eyes sometimes. Yeah, and that that happens especially when you're starting out. Yeah, um, I remember doing that a lot. You know, just leaving things on the desk, um, walking away mow the lawn, you know, come back and, you know, get back to work, um, finish that page and don't work the next day on it, you know, come back and, you know, fresh approach to, you know, the next pages of the book. Mm. 
I don't really need to do that any longer because, you know, I'm doing this for over 30 years. So I kind of have trained myself, you know, that organizing your workday kind of thing. I know what I have to do. I know when I want to get it done. As I'm working on a project, I'm very critical of my own work. So if it's not going right, you know, I know I need to change it. So, and I can, I can jump from one painting to another and still approach it in a fresh way. I do that in terms of composition. I do that in terms of the colors that I use, although you, you try to keep colors in a book, you know, mostly in the same palette. Um, you know, if I'm illustrating the sky in two paintings, yeah, the sky is blue, but maybe in another painting, I want to make it yellow. So there's no one telling me I can't do that. So maybe just to keep it fresh for me, I'll do that. You know, so all those kind of, you know, artistic kind of decisions come in and they keep things fresh for me. Um, you have, you're married and yep. you have a family. Mm -hmm. um, do you, does your family understand if you're locked in the studio for hours at a time and they're like, where's dad? Do they understand you're working? Totally. Or Totally, yeah. yeah. Well, my wife was a graphic designer for years. Okay, so she... Yeah, she worked for CBS Television and then for DC Comics. So remember me as the comic oh, geek? Oh, wow. Remember? I actually got to... Is that kind of how you guys met? In we, met in, we met in school, at School yeah. of Visual Arts. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah, our first year in, we, we met Interesting. there. Interesting. Yeah, and then she just couldn't resist me. So, you know. <laughs> and the anyway. rest was history. <laughs> the rest is history, yeah. <laughs> but no, my wife is great. You... If you ask me what it takes to be an artist, that support. Yeah. You cannot do it without that support. And I'm, I'm talking when times are rough financially and then emotionally. Right. She wants me to be an artist, so she lets me be an artist. She knows what that's like from her days at, as a graphic designer, mm -hmm. as you know, working for DC Comics, working with the other illustrators, the other comic book artists, whom I got to meet, by oh, the way. Cool. Bill Sankavich, Joe wow. Orlando, awesome guys. Awesome. Um, you know, Julie Schwartz, the old school wow. guys from the golden age, you know, and so I got to meet a lot of those people uh, and work with them. I actually was on a creative team coming up with new characters for DC Comics, too. I worked no with kidding. a bunch of writers from Children's Television Workshop and um, and me and a couple other artists. So we had a good time, wow. uh, you know, doing that kind of thing. That's really cool. Uh, but yeah, she understands. And then my kids are also creative. So my daughter is, um, she's a physical trainer now, but singer, dancer, mm -hmm. you know, actress kind of thing, awesome dancer. And, uh, you know, for years, you know, did the Broadway auditioning thing and stuff. Now she's an awesome trainer. Um, and so they know, you know, this is, it's, you put the work into it, you get that out of it. My son is one of the top 10 social media influencers in the auto industry, oh, wow. crispy media um, in, in high demand. So see all the plugs I'm getting in here? <laughs> but, <laughs> Squeeze them in. Yeah. So, Pack I mean, in everybody in my family has, you know, a creative bent. Yeah. So everybody kind of understands one another, you know, and I think that's, it's just always been that way. And, and maybe my kids, because we've, we've always encouraged it. Mm -hmm. You know, there was never a point where we said the real job thing. Right. You know, my daughter wanted to be dancer and go audition on Broadway. Go for it. I'll take you there. You that's know, cool. and, and that's it. My son you know, graduates from school, wants to start his own business, start your own business, you know, do it. You know, he had his own business when he was 16 years old. Wow. So that's great. Yeah. yeah. It's support. I, I think a lot of people, you know, are, don't have, and uh, the creative uh, process is, is could be isolating. You know, you could be isolated yeah. uh, working on something and it's not like, um, you know, some people build things that are, they're like mechanics, for example, and you could see what they're building, mm -hmm. you know, but some people that are standing behind, you know, a canvas or at a computer screen typing, you know, there's a lot, people sometimes don't get what you're doing. 
You know what I mean? Um, until you, they see the final product, you know, but you spend hours and hours and hours working on something and they're like, you know, why the hell is he doing locked up in his room for, you know, yeah. eight hours, you know, but you're going on a, a writing, you know, kind of binge because oh, definitely. you have this idea that you need to get out. Yeah, yeah. And the, yeah. And the people that you're, you know, in your family or, you know, that you're living with and they, the fact that they let you do that is, is awesome on their part. Yeah. Um, my family understands that, you know, there are times where, you know, I'm just, it's, you know, I get up at six o'clock in the morning, I'll go to bed, you know, two o'clock the next morning, mm. sleep for four hours, I'm back up again, you know, I'm, I'm like working on four hours, I'm a zombie. My wife understands that, you know, I'm crunching a deadline. Yeah. You know, I gotta get something done, they let you do that. Um, my family will look at works in progress and they kind of know where it's going after all these years, you know, especially my wife can look at something. Um, doesn't really give me critiques on things, but you know, um, she's probably my biggest fan. Um, but then again, she's dealt with artists and mm. writers and stuff like that throughout her former career, so she pretty much knows. Um, in terms of you know what you do in progression, people seeing it, I think when it comes to painting, like on Instagram, I'll post you know works in progress. And they'll get a lot of you know hits on that, you know, because I think people do like seeing the process, and maybe it helps them to understand. Wow, his final illustration started out as a blank piece of paper, <laughs> you know, and then it was this sketch. Then it got became this refined thing, and now I can see what it is. Maybe in writing, it's a little different because it's words. Yeah. They can't see it visually. If they took time to read it and then saw the edit of that thing, they might see. Wow, you know, I I see what they did there. But how many people are actually going to take the time to do that? True. You know, that's, that's true. the thing. And, uh, it, and that goes back to the value of, you know, art and writing and stuff. How much time do we really want to take out of our day? You know, as lay people, how many times, how much time do we really want to put into looking at pictures or reading? Ooh. Right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Not uh, I, reading. I, I think it's going to be replaced by emojis at some point in the future. I think you're right. Because <laughs> when I go into schools, you know, first graders, who loves reading? Uh, Put both hands up. Everybody's yeah. waving their hands in the air. Sixth grade. Yeah. How many readers are here? Oh, it's you. Yeah. It's like the two kids that have their hands up, you know. Well, uh, I, I want to ask you, um, well, before we segue off your uh, creative process, I want to ask you, when do you normally paint? Do you paint in the morning? I do you paint at night? Paint you all day long. Paint all I'm day long. I'm boring. I'm a boring person. I paint all day. <laughs> it's what I do. Um, it's yeah. I work from morning till night. Uh, since my studio is at home, yeah. Some days, especially now, like uh, this morning, I did some gardening. I, I worked from like six to eight, and then I went out. I trimmed some bushes that need to be trimmed, and so I was back to back work. You it. know, doing my sketches. You can see the one I posted on Instagram. But um, yeah, I I just I work. That's that's what I do, and then I you know I also cook, so I'll, I may cook dinner and then I go back to work. Nice, you know. I don't, you enjoy I don't, cooking as a kid. Kind I of, like cooking. Yeah. yeah, my grandfather came over from Sicily. He was a pastry chef in Sicily, uh -huh. but he worked as a longshoreman here in America. No but kidding. he did all the cooking in our house growing up. We lived in a two-family house. My grandparents lived downstairs. We lived that's upstairs. Cool. The food must have been cooked. amazing. Oh, you, <laughs> yeah, you can't Sicilian even describe it. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. Sorry, that was a motorcycle. Or a car without a muffler that just passed. <laughs> Sounds like my son's car, actually. <laughs> just had some work done on it to in order to make that sound. So, <laughs> so he was yeah. looking to get that sound. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. um, so you mentioned Instagram. Uh, one thing that I I talk to, to different artists about uh, is the internet mm -hmm. and how that's changed what they do. 
um, especially people that have been, you know, poets for a long time or writers for a long time or artists for a long time, you know, when they started, there was no Instagram. Um, so do you look at it as a tool that helps promote your work? Because you were also saying too, and I agree, like people cringe when they see a lot of writing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because there's information overload, like everywhere you go, there's someone, you know, showing you their family or their yeah. cat or their dog or, you know, the, something they made or whatever. And at some point people are, are, their minds can't absorb all this information. So they kind of starting to put a wall up and say, well, what am I really interested in? Because I need to yeah. kind of block out all this other nonsense. Yeah, I, I think you're right in terms of, you know, how much how much time do, do people want to actually invest in, you know, looking at art or reading a book or something like that? People lead busy lead busy lives, yeah. right? You can totally understand, like, if they come home from work and they just want to unwind and watch some TV or, you know, and then get ready for the next day. And so they're not going to put their efforts toward reading or looking at a painting. You know, someone once paid me a great compliment. I went to show my work at a gallery and the person said you know your works are very contemplative and that was kind of cool because it you know gave them a feeling of peace just looking at the work Hmm. you know for me it's a picture of a landscape but for them they got something emotional out of it so it's not that you know it's a waste of your time to do that you just have to make the decision like you know to actually spend your time doing that um for instagram and all that other um you know social media it's kind of a necessary evil now yeah it's a great place for you know people who do not want to do that legwork and you know look for the publishers look for the art directors look for the submission guidelines some people just want to do that one book have it published show their kids great good for them go and self-publish your work don't even hire an editor got a friend who is an artist you want them to do it great don't expect it to be a number one bestseller odds are it's not go- that's not going to happen without professionals behind it um but you know good post it you know do something share it with other people i'm all for it you know if you want to draw and paint as a hobby and you want to you know join the local art center and show it you know in member shows awesome that's great good for you you're among the rare people who are willing to put themselves out there you know, and let everybody know, you know, your feeling on paper and words or on paper and pictures, you know, how many people want to do that? You know, not many people are willing to share that with their, again, so judgmental, oh, I'm not good at it. You know, you know, how much time do they spend, you know, going back to sports? Yeah. We'll, we'll tell our kids, go to practice, you know, you mm. need to practice this at home. We're going to catch, you know, before the big game and we're, let's catch, let's go to the ball field, hit a couple of balls out there. Your kid's got, you know, an art project due. You know, you're like, okay, how can I do this for them? You know, so that it gets done quickly. Yeah. You're not going to say, okay, you know what, this week, I know you have an art project due yeah. next month. So this week, let's practice drawing. Let's practice painting. Let's practice. We just don't devote the time to that kind of stuff. Where does that self-denial come from? That you were saying, like, you'd show a picture to someone, you know, you're the person next to you as an adult, and they're like, oh, they'll snicker. But as a kid, they'd be like elated, you know, and happy that uh, the picture, you know, yeah, it's, and you were just saying too, also like, you know, oh, I can't do that. Or, mm-hmm. you know, people have this self-doubt. Why do you think that is where kids are so optimistic? And then as you get older, you know, that kind of for some people fades. Well, look at the stuff that's presented to us. We again, we see things in its finished form. Right. So usually they're pretty perfect. Right. The, the movie that wins the Oscar or just becomes a movie. 
you know, that's that's great. That work has, you, you didn't see the process behind that. The years it took the writer to write it, the screenwriting that went in behind it, right. you know, and then shooting the thing for years sometimes, no one sees it. They see that they see perfection at the end. A book, they see the pictures. They don't know the research that went into the pictures, right? The painting, they don't know that I waited for years to paint this thing until the light was just exactly the light that I wanted, you know, and I had the time to get there that time of day and paint that thing. No one sees that kind of stuff. So we're used to seeing perfection. If we can't produce that, the minute we write something or the minute we draw something, we're like, well, it's not good. So it doesn't like look like the perfect thing I saw. Instant kind of gratification. Again, yeah. Because yeah, that, that work is done behind the scenes. All that work is behind the scenes, yeah. you know, So, and we're used to seeing finished product. Um, well, I, I did want to also talk about your academic mm -hmm. background. So how'd you get into academics? Into teaching at Marist? Yeah. Yeah, well, I was actually invited to teach there. When I started out, I was doing some fashion illustration. I studied uh, fashion illustration with Jack Potter at SVA. He was like one of the top fashion illustrators mm -hmm. and an awesome teacher. He's the guy with the six-hour drawing classes that, you know, if you left the class, he'd look at you. Strange. <laughs> um, but um, I started doing some fashion illustrations for, you know, a couple of companies in New York City. For Working Woman Magazine, I would do like a fashion spot for them. So the former uh, head of the fashion department had contacted me and uh, asked me if I would, you know, teach an illustration drawing class there. So I taught, you know, fashion illustration. And from that, it went to fashion portfolio where I would help the students put their final portfolios together. Um, I taught shoe design. I taught hat design. Really? And then I went over to the fine arts department. And I started teaching fundamentals there and illustration and watercolor painting. And I just loved the, you know, the art aspect of the thing. Yeah. And because that's what I did. Um, so, yeah, I just, you know, fell into that. And, you know, I've been there for probably 24 years now as an adjunct there. And you have an upcoming course in an the fall. Upcoming course, yeah. I, I used to teach illustration there. They stopped that. Uh, it was a traditional media course. Um, so pencils, paper, paint, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, we do have digital illustration, digital media. You know, we're up to date on everything at Marist. and um, Which is important now, crucial. You need to have it, yeah. Um, so they offer digital illustration. That course is not running this year, but we're running my illustration course this year, which is going back to the roots of, you know, traditional sketching, um, traditional media, and then, of course, you know, introducing digital media into mm. it as well. Um, you ask about, you know, how do people get into the industry? I encourage people learn digital media. There's a lot of people who have quick access to pencil, paper, paint, um, but they don't all have access to digital programs that you need, like Photoshop, Photoshop. or, you know, mm. um, Illustrator, whatever. And um, publishers just want that. You know, it's, yes, can you get some work with traditional media? Yeah, in terms of the expense of it, it's a bigger expense for publishers to scan them and format them. Or, like what happened to me, I had to absorb that cost, mm. you know, of getting high resolution scans made and then sending those files on. So, you know, if my scans are costing me, you know, $50 each to get a scan, you know, that's profit. 30 pages, mm. you know, do the math and that's your, that's your profit you're yeah. just throwing away. So in terms of that, the production end of the thing, but also in terms of, uh, you know, what the mediums can do. D digital tools are, are awesome. I was totally against them as an artist. 
until I learn them. And when you see what they can do and how you can manipulate them, they're just a tool. It's like having a paintbrush. Mm. You know, what kind of brush do you use? Some people use, you know, round brushes. Some use filbert brushes. Some use bristle. Well, the same thing with, you know, drawing and painting and Photoshop and stuff like that. I'm sure there's some old school artists, right, that are totally kind of Luddites in that regard. Do they? Yeah. They, yeah. they prefer the old methods and the new technologies kind of cheating or something? Yeah, I have, you know, friends who are, you know, fellow illustrators who will, will not, you know, pick up digital media. They're, they, they work and they're happy doing, um, you know, watercolor or whatever it is. But I'll look at the work and I'll say, that would be so much easier. I know exactly how that can be achieved with digital media. It'll look exactly the same. People have looked at my digital work and they'll ask me, "Is it? did you do that in watercolor or digital? So the fact that they can't tell, it's kind of cool because yeah. I can scan in paper. I can get the texture of watercolor paper. I can move the colors around so that they bleed like watercolors bleed on the, on the paper. So a lot you can achieve a lot of different things. It's just a matter of, again, learning new tools. I have a question on... For music, people prefer oftentimes analog recording mm-hmm. that's done on tape yeah. uh, and vinyl and stuff mm-hmm. like that because they say it's easier on the ears. There's almost some kind of subconscious um, thing that your brain's picking up that it's just softer on your ears. There's more soothing quality to it where digital is higher pitch okay. and it kind of could be more annoying almost subconsciously. Um, do, you, do you feel that about digital art? versus art that's done with paint or more traditional styles is the digital something about it seem unnatural to the viewer or is it just not you know is it something that the eye doesn't really perceive as deceptive or something i'm not sure if i'm wording that correctly but i'm not sure if yeah if you get what i'm saying like you said a lot of people will maybe think they're being fooled that the computer did that the artist didn't do that it's that's the furthest thing from the truth yeah it takes almost as much time to do things digitally as it does with traditional media. And do you think it's as visually appealing, I guess? Or and yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, people are used to seeing digital art. They're used to seeing vector graphics, which mm-hmm. are very crisp and clean and, you know, block color and stuff like that. Um so to see something that's more elaborate done digitally, you know, I think it's a plus for them. I don't mm. I don't think it really matters. I I know to to in the picture book world, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, if it's a style that suits, you know, the story, and you can produce it, you know, go for it, you know, and, and that's all it takes. A lot of us who made the switch from traditional to digital tried to keep our um, style looking the same because it's what we were hired for. So I spent months looking at, you know, YouTube videos and learning the program and then, you know, finding out how to paint in watercolor digitally, you know, so that it would look like my digital paintings. I scan in the same paper that I use arches paper for my watercolor paintings I scan that in and I use that as a layer for my texture so that you know when I put color on top of it it immediately looks like it was painted on Mm. the paper itself so yeah I I don't think people you know um, are opposed to seeing things digital or it's not like it used to be where it looked very computer Mm. you know digital digitally done it's just it's not that way anymore well, I'm sure too. It opens a lot of doors, right? Like if Andy Warhol was alive, you know, could he'd, find he'd a way it, yeah. to manipulate yeah. some images, and you know, yeah, take you it click to posterize level. in Photoshop, and you yeah. have a Warhol image. <laughs> right. You know, that's uh, so same uh, a lot of on silk yeah. screening uh-huh. or something. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know, as for the the purpose behind it, you know, 
that's the artist. That's where the artist comes in. Mm-hmm. Does it need to be a Warhol type looking thing or does it need to be a Wyeth looking type mm-hmm. thing? You know, so we're at both ends of the spectrum there. You know, and then that's where you come in as the artist. How will I communicate this idea to people? You mentioned uh, comic books, um, but who else, who other, what other artists do you look up to? I think Norman Rockwell was one that I read. Yeah. Well, my dad's number one. Yeah. Um, I guess um, Rockwell, yeah, early on. But when I discovered N.C. Wyeth, that was like the big thing for me. Wyeth was, I think, the greatest um, illustrator of all time. Howard Pyle is an illust- was an illustrator. He's known as the father of American illustration. Um, Wyeth was his student. I think the student surpassed the master. Um, Wyeth, they used to say, but his work jumps off the page. And that's the whole quality of illustrate. You want to engage the viewer. You don't want things to sit there on the page. You want to bring them in. Rockwell quite often would use like a person in the foreground looking over their shoulder at you, the viewer, to bring you into the scene. You know, so almost coming off the page at you. So yeah, N.C. Wyeth would be number one. And then um, uh, Rockwell, Leindecker, Maxfield Parrish, you know, all the greats of the golden age. And I do have a favorite illustrator contemporary. His name is Charles Santori, who I got to meet. I called him up and again, make a phone call, meet somebody. Um, Called him up, went to his studio in Philadelphia. And a lot of the books that I have of his... Uh, Wizard of Oz, Little Mermaid, that kind of stuff. Um, picture books are not just for kids. Um, great artwork in them. <laughs> He's working on uh, Alice in Wonderland right now, which is cool. it's going to be an incredible book. But uh, yeah, so he's my favorite uh, contemporary illustrator. And I have a lot, a lot of friends who are illustrators and their styles are all over the place. It's hard to say like, you know, which one influences me because there's just so much that I like. But those few are the ones that, that stand out. Uh, so you're from Brooklyn. Yeah. Whereabouts in Brooklyn? You got a problem with that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, from Bay Ridge. Bay Ridge. Yeah. And when did you move to the Hudson Valley? Uh, when I got married, we were looking for a place to um, buy. And at the time there was, you know, you couldn't afford, mortgages were 13%. That was my first mortgage rate was 13%. Uh, we wanted to stay in Brooklyn, just could not afford it. So we just started going up, up, up you know, threw away up the Taconic and we just found, you know, Fishkill. I had um, their family friends who uh, used to own the property Willow Lake on uh, Van, Van Wick Lake Road, I think it's on, uh, near Moogs, up, up the okay. road from Moogs. Uh, not Moogs, now it's uh, Maya Cafe. Okay. Um, so up the road from there, they oh, owned yeah. that. So my folks would come to Fishkill. When there was the... Um, it's pretty rural up there, right, on that road? Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. Um, but um, they would come, and so we stopped. And we said, well, we look at a house in Fishkill. Oh, Fishkill, that's where Jerry lives. Yeah, that's his house. Like, Go see his house. I'm like, yeah, that's a house. <laughs> but um, no, so yeah, we wound up because, uh, you know, we just couldn't afford, you know, prices there. It's kind of yeah. like people want to move to Beacon now. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. You go across the river or go further up. That's so. what happens, right? And then the rent goes up here and prices people out eventually. Yeah, which is not a bad thing. Yeah. You know, because if you look at cities like Hudson, you know, which, you know, we were at in Germantown, yeah, so Hudson's, right outside. Hudson's awesome. Hudson is awesome yeah. now. You wouldn't have wanted to be in, the, yeah. be in Hudson, you know, at night, you know, uh, 30 years ago from when I remember, you know, going there. Um, Beacon, much the same way. You know, yeah. a lot of the storefronts are closed and abandoned. Yeah. And, um, 
uh, the mayor that you know at the time re- just caused this resurgence. Yeah. Attracted Dia up I here. Forget her name. Uh, Clara Gould. Yeah. Gould, yeah. 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 So, um, I mean, great things. And so artists come in. You know, they'll you know beef up all the all of the buildings and everything, and the community is a vibrant community. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes unaffordable. And, <laughs> and then you look along. for the next place. <laughs> Do you think that might happen in a place like Newburgh or uh, City of I Poughkeepsie? I think it can. Yeah. Poughkeepsie is, is an awesome place. When I was um, president of the board up there in the art center, so I had access to a lot of the stuff that Tom Barrett, who the art center is named for, mm-hmm. and that's his house that um, a Barrett Art Center is in. I read this article that, that he wrote, and in it he says, um, Poughkeepsie is a major art center. Yeah. New York City doesn't know it. Poughkeepsie doesn't even know it. Yeah. And at, this is during the 30s or 40s, 1930s, 40s. And he was dead on. I mean, he had that perfect. You know, it's just now, now we're seeing all that, yeah. you know, come to fruition. But it, the possibility is there. There are so many of us. As you say, it's a lonely life. So, you know, we're isolated to make our own work. You know, unless you're collaborating with someone else on a piece, you, you're really not seeing other artists. You're in your studio doing what you got to do. Um, so the fact that there are these art centers, Beacon Arts too, you know, where you can meet up and you can, you know, share, you know, your your work, your ideas with other artists is kind of a cool thing. But yeah, even in Newburgh, the, the possibilities are there. It, like a place like Newburgh, Poughkeepsie, they have the ingredients, right? Yeah. To be something, they're close to the trains, mm-hmm. like nearby colleges or, you know, yeah. easy transportation or whatever walking main street um but there are elements of you know being unsafe that probably mm-hmm. keeps people away uh growing up in brooklyn when you did mm-hmm. i mean there was a well, first off at, around that time the yeah. art scene and the music scene was 60s 70s pretty crazy right uh the art scene was well i mean yeah. you know 60s music I mean, yeah you know speaks for itself right and then i mean in the 70s late 70s early 80s a lot of graffiti stuff going on especially yeah. when i was in school um you know the walls of sva would be covered with graffiti and that was kind of allowed at the time um well, there was that uh place um five points i think it was called and they recently tore it down it was like a graffiti hub and i would sometimes pass it on the seven mm-hmm. train and they went in the middle of the night and they covered all the graffiti with white paint yeah painted over yeah, it. yeah. Un- unfortunately i mean a lot of that stuff is you know, the people in the neighborhood, they don't want to see the eyesore. Right. It's how much of an appreciation do you have for art? The graffiti outside is an eyesore. You take it into a gallery, it's, right. it's art. art. You know, yeah. so who's to say? I mean, if you look at some, I, I, I'm a, I follow a lot of uh, graffiti art on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of it is incredible. Yeah. I mean, you're like, why aren't these people painting on canvas? You know, it, it, but it's... I don't know too much. I know like Bansky and like the, the, the big yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there. When when you look at the site, I don't really go into like who the particular artist is. Yeah. I'll, I'll there's because there's so many good things, uh-huh. you know. But um, you have like a Banksy kind of guy who's Banksy. like, yeah, he does his his own, uh, you know, his own take on things, um, painting on you know, uh, five and ten cent store pictures, and yeah. that becomes this you know great work of art. Who's to say what what's good and what's bad in art, right? Um, but that's his thing, and he does that well. And you have like a city like Philadelphia who actually has a mural program where you can apply to paint a mural, and they'll you know it'll be up for five years or so, whatever the time frame is. Even in in New York, you know, a lot of artists don't look for the you know public uh, works that they could 
you know, apply for. You know, they could they could submit an idea mm-hmm. to a lot of public artwork. Um, you know, people again, you know, you got to research the opportunity and then draw up the proposal and pursue that too. So, I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing. Yeah, I feel like people kind of romanticize the city during those those years in terms of the art scene and stuff. And it was a more dangerous place as well, right? Would you say it was it's a more dangerous now? place? Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, my Something neighborhood not gritty. so much. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, you go, you know, a couple of blocks outside of where you're not supposed to be, and then there were. Um, you know, you'd be standing on a street corner and a bottle would be tossed at you or something like that. And, you know, that was just, it was just how things were. Yeah. So, um, but no, my, you know, typical middle class, you know, upbringing kind of thing. My street was, you know, tree lined, you know, so that was kind of cool. That's a nice area. Um, it's, it's a beautiful area. And, uh, you know, we, we just did a lot of things with uh, family, with friends. You know, you stayed within your two or three block radius, mm-hmm. and those are the people you knew and you got along with. When I finally, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, went into New York City to go to SVA, then you were exposed to, like, you know, you're traveling on the train 10 o'clock at night, lugging right. your portfolio home. Yeah. And it's, you got some shady characters, sure, you sure. know, on the trains at that time. But, you you know, you learn to deal with something. You just, you know, you don't look at people. Yeah. <laughs> you don't look at them the wrong way, certainly. Yeah. But, I mean, it's like anywhere else. You yeah. Know? You got to just be careful and, you know, be sensible. That's it. I, it's silly to say, but like I, I there's certain elements of Beacon too, because I lived here in 2010, mm-hmm. and it was different then too. Yeah. Um, like the where they're building these condos down the mm-hmm. hill from here, they had murals on the building, and they were uh, they weren't painted on the building. They were like posters that were in the windows. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think they called electric windows because yep. it's the old electric blanket factory. Mm-hmm. And I used to live in the apartment across from that, and I liked cool. looking at that every morning. Right. But I guess, you know, economically, it doesn't make sense to have this big, huge building that's abandoned just to have these pictures on the front of it. Right. But, um, you know, it's things like that that I thought made Beacon cool and attracted people in the first place. So if you start taking down these sorts of things and making it, you know, where it's hard to find a, you know, reasonably priced lunch and the rents are really high and... You know, you put parking meters on the street, then you're kind of taking, tripping it. I I believe yeah. it's in the in there's talks in that they're in the process of doing it, or at least we're trying to do it. Um, you know, but there's there's so many galleries here too, and uh, you know they have great. Uh, I love walking down Main Street. They have the farmers yeah. market. Yeah. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is I hope they don't strip away the things that made it great in the first place by, you know, economic short-term gains. You yeah, know? well, I mean, again, that's up to the people who lead the community. Yeah. And not, that's not, not only politically elected officials, but, you know, how much the art community, you know, keeps in mind that this community is the way it is because of us. Right. You know, so it's a good thing to keep us here. Again, let's jump to Hudson for a second. There's still art galleries, antique shops. Oh man, that you Main know, Street that, is huge. It's awesome. Yeah. Warren Street is it's 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 so great. I mean, and you they they haven't stopped. It still maintains. It's inviting for artists, right? So they maintain their their whole appeal. Beacon can do the same thing. If you're taking art out of the windows, so let's put it in a gallery. Mm-hmm. You know, so let's open a place for artists to show their work. And there are a, a number of places, so, you know, and I, I think there's going to be probably even more, you know, in years to come. Uh living in the Hudson Valley, what inspires you about the Hudson Valley? Um I find it incredible that I live where art began in America. 
I mean, that's something I really think about and my connection to that. That's pretty um, interesting to think about, yeah. It's an awesome thing when you yeah. think about, you know, so painting, where does painting happen? It happens in Europe, in France. You know, everybody goes to France to learn how to paint. When you come back here and you have people like Frederick Church, Thomas Cole, and they're painting, you know, what's outside of their window, these mountains and luminous skies at sunset. And you show them and people say, well, that doesn't really exist. There's no place that that could happen, that kind of light. Yeah, well, it's, it is. If you've ever been up to Alana and you stand on the hill when the sun is setting and you're like, there's a church painting. And you're like, I live here. You know, and it's, it's pretty it's, cool. It's incredible. Yeah. So you get to carry on that tradition and it doesn't matter the style that you're working in, you know, so we're not all Hudson River School style painters, but you're like, you're here where this, where it all started. It's kind of a cool connection to have. Um, what are you working on now? What's, what do you got? Cooking? Now I'm working on, I'm working on this really cool series of books. A professor at Rutgers wrote this series of books called A Tale of the Raccoon. And it's a great series, and he had a great idea, and that was to um, approach the subject of addiction through um, nature, through characters, a a Native American and um, a raccoon and a raccoon family who each wind up helping one another but also present problems where they become dependent on one another and that dependency translates to the dependencies of addiction and then how that raccoon family handles addiction and all that other stuff and it's so strange because if you know anyone who has been affected by that what the the tale in the story is exactly the huh. path that many addicts you know follow it's so accurate that um, you know it's scary, and it's the the author has done such a great job approaching that. When he to, when he let me read the manuscripts, I'm like, I actually know a person that experienced this exact what you're what this raccoon went through, mm. an actual human experienced this thing. So I can act, I have a, again heavy. have a connection to that because when I'm illustrating that, I'm thinking of that person mm. you know who went through the exact same thing. So while they may be animals, it's a great way to introduce to young people this subject matter and the effect that it ultimately has on that character and his family is reality. You know, so that's that's kind of what I'm working on now. It sounds kind of deep. Not, children's it book, right? It sounds like a really interesting but, story, though. You know, children's books, picture books are, you know, Sometimes they're not they have all. More yeah, they're adult. You know, Right. If you meetings. go back to like where the wild things are yeah. at the time, it was like, oh my gosh, how could you do this to kids? Yeah. You're scaring the crap out of them. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, they're not all you know, fuzzy bears. It's there's some serious. Well, some of the older stories too, right? Was it grim or? Oh somebody, yeah, definitely I mean, they're fairy all tales. Like, yeah, oh yeah, sure. Really dark, very, twisted stories. Very much so. Yeah. But um, you know, so it, I think that's the great thing about children's books and picture books in general is that there's so much for so many people. Um, and then there is the people like me who will, you know, you go to Barnes and Noble or, you know, cruise around on Amazon and look for some awesome pictures and books and just look at the artwork in them. So that's kind of a cool thing, too. I mean, there's so much great art being done. You look at Polar Express and Chris Van Alsberg's mm-hmm. work. And if you look at books other than Polar Express that he's illustrated, it's not all in that particular style. Some are pen and ink kind of stylization. Um, others are, you know, um, 
like uh, a, a more concise kind of pastel uh, stylization. So he's kind of all over the place. He does some wonderful sculpture too. When you start looking at that kind of stuff and you open up a book and you're like, wow, these are just great pictures. You know, and then maybe take a trip down to um, Society of Illustrators in New York City, yeah. see their show, go to the Norman Rockwell Museum, you know, see those illustrations hanging up. You get a whole new appreciation of what illustrators go through. Nice. You still pick up the guitar every once in a while, noodle around? I play in my church's contemporary choir, so yeah, cool. we're, we play uh, every other week, and I rehearse you know, all the time. Uh, I get to choose the songs that we play, so we do a lot of contemporary Christian kind of stuff which is kind of cool. I've been up to um, Change Point Church up in Poughkeepsie to see a couple of contemporary groups, which are awesome. And uh, so I do that. When I was in school, I played in a couple of clubs in Brooklyn. And then I, I was part of an Elvis tribute band. Is that right? Yeah. Were you Elvis? I was not Elvis. Oh. No. But I would back out vocals. You my could have older, pulled off Elvis. My older brother was okay. actually the okay. Elvis guy. <laughs> and it was a group of our friends, you know, and we pulled together this band and we played a couple of gigs, you know, a few gigs in, as the Elvis tribute group. And uh, it was kind of cool. I can still yeah. play and sing every Elvis song. So, uh, one, one stick out that, uh, what's your favorite Elvis song? Um, I think the early, you know, that's early all Elvis. right. Yeah, that's all right, Mama. Heartbreak you know, Hotel. Yeah, I used to do a medley of Heartbreak <laughs> Hotel, Teddy Bear, and uh, um, Don't Be Cruel. That was cool. my, like one of my medleys when I was playing the bar. People would request that all the time. So, you know, you do what you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I really enjoyed our conversation. Is there anything you wanted to add that I didn't ask? Anything you wanted to talk about mm -hmm. that I didn't bring up? No, I think, you know, thank you for inviting me here. No, and great. you know, you were able to, and I think what, work it out. what you're doing with, you know, the podcast is awesome. It gives people a chance to get to know a lot of the creative people, you know, in the area. And, you know, for people like me, if you contact me, you know, visit my website. I just finished mentoring a young student from Haldane um, uh, with Garrison Arts Center. Mm -hmm. So in their mentoring program. And he's like the one student who wanted to be an illustrator. And so they hooked him up with me through Beacon Arts. They found my information. And uh, we worked together for about three months. And then that culminated in, you know, an exhibit of, of his final piece, which was the only nice. illustration in, in the exhibit, which was kind of cool. Um, so, you know, find us, you know, if you need advice on, you know, how do I get into an industry? Or yeah. most of us are willing to, you know, give you advice or, you know, uh, a critique or something, you know, whatever we can offer. So the fact that you're putting us out there, you know, and giving us some exposure to, you know, the wider audience, creative audience is, is awesome. Thank well, you. Well, I appreciate that. No, thank you. And, um, yeah, it's kind of the crux of what I, this is, the purpose of this is, is to understand an artist. And what fascinates me is their creative process. Mm -hmm. And that's Part of the reason why I enjoy doing this, yeah. um, because I, I just find that fascinating how people are able to come up with certain ideas. Whether it, and it's not just writers, poets, artists. It, you know, it could be chefs, it could be a business sure. owner, it could be, you know, anyone who takes a creative approach to what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I appreciate the feedback because that is uh, a goal as well. Is to you know there there's a there is a community here in the Hudson Valley, and the Hudson Valley is a little bit different than New York City. It's not you know it's more spread out. It's not as yeah. condensed. So there might be something going on in, you know, New Paltz that I didn't know about here in Beacon right. or vice versa. So um, so thanks for that. Yeah. I appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for having me. All right. Great talking to you. Thanks. Thank you. Peace out, Transmodians.